On this episode, recorded on Monday, April 1st, 2019, SP doesn't do an April Fool's gag, nor does Chris Farrell do an April Fool's gag, and shockingly, I also don't do an April Fool's gag. Plus, in SP Space Symposium, he does it totally normally, sans April Fool's gag. This and more in this week's show. I'm Andrew from the Dad.io podcast. Life supplies the inputs and we supply the outputs. Part of the Going to Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic and amazing geeky shows at goingtogeeknetwork.com. This is the official goingtogeek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gonna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to another episode of the OfficialGunnaGeek.com show. I'm Steven on fire. John Drew in with me, of course, is Stargate Pioneer is also on fire. Woohoo! I need to shoot me a fire extinguisher and cool down today. We're also pleased to say that he is here. He is fantastic. And he is the real Green Ranger. That's right. It's Chris Farrell. That is true. I thought this was the fanboy buzz. I got very confused. I don't know. I don't get that reference because um, not sure. Don't get it. Don't get it at all because, uh, yeah, that's a live show gig. Uh, we are here recording this live on Monday, uh, April 1st, which you can go ahead. And if you've not checked us out before, we do stream it live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern time. We would love to see you come by sometime and check us out live because we do have a wonderful Wonderful chat audience. And yes, this is no different. We are live at geeks.live. There's a lot of awesome, amazing, geeky content over on geeks.live when it's not Monday because we're just subpar geeky content, right? That's what I'm told. I didn't even know that we were anywhere near par. I thought we were like a double dozen bogey. Well, see, that's the thing. As I, I said, subpar, you can, there's the whole range of of levels when you say subpar it doesn't necessarily mean that it's just a little bit below par anything below par is subpar do you have golf in canada miniature what what's what's a golf oh the vw golf uh yes we do have the vw golf up here you're right i'm sorry you're probably confusing it with 20 pin bowling i i Pins? Bowling? What's a bowling? I'm not sure. If you want to go ahead and talk about um, cricket or badminton. Okay. It, that makes sense because you're part of the United Kingdom. You're you know, one of Her Majesty's loyal subjects. We'll even talk curling if you want. <gasps> Can we? But only the hair type. Ha <laughs> ha! All right, we're going to go ahead and start off with some SpaceX news because this had the word hopper in it. And anytime that there's anything with the word hopper in it, it's amazing. It's like, let's get it in the hopper or 
hanging out with Mr. Hopper. Oh, wait, that was Mr. Hooper, and it was on the crazy TGIF show. Well, Dennis Hopper is still lamenting the fact that he no longer has his Waterworld ship, which was the Exxon Valdez, so he wanted Elon Musk to make him a new one. Okay, cool. The more you know. Did you not see Waterworld? Uh, I was too young for that. I'm sorry. Actually, I do have a true story with that. Uh, I've actually never seen it because we were watching it. This is a totally true story. We were watching it because my parents were doing the thing where we were on. We had plans going to Disneyland and Universal Studios. So they went through this thing where they would. They looked up all the attractions and they were getting renting all of the movies on movie night. And so that we knew some of the attractions. And of course, there was the Waterworld attraction. So they got the Waterworld movie, rented it for us to watch. And I am the middle of three children. So, yes, I have a younger child. So, or a younger child, I have a younger sibling. And guess what? The movie was very inappropriate for, for kids, especially my younger sister. So, I, we got like halfway through it, halfway through Waterworld. To which it got shut off because it was like, okay, we got to stop this. This is not appropriate. And I've never watched it since. So that is totally 100% true story. Dennis Hopper is such a wonderful actor. He has 204 credits. And the two movies that I associate with him are Waterworld and Hoosiers. Hooters? They shouldn't say Mario. No. uh, Anyway, no, we're talking about SpaceX's Starship Hopper. And this is via a space.com article by Lee Cavendish. And it was a picture of this wonderful thing called the hopper. Have you guys seen the picture of the hopper? I have. Yes. Because you put the link in the doc. Yeah. And it's straight out of the 1950s. This thing is awesome. So here's the article recently, Elon Musk, who, if you didn't know, is the CEO of SpaceX, Tesla, and a bunch of other companies like boring company released images and information on what he calls the Starship Hopper test rocket. Musk has released the first images of the Starship prototype that will soon undergo short hopping excursions to test its feasibility. These vertical takeoff and landing or VTOL tests will cover up to five kilometers or three miles above the ground before landing back on Earth. The Hopper prototype towers at a height of about 39 meters, which is 128 feet, and it has a diameter of 9 meters, roughly about 30 feet, with a stainless steel exterior starting at its pointy tip to its three rear fins that serve as its legs as it stands on the ground. Now, Musk has outlined his ambitions to conduct two unmanned cargo missions to Mars by 2022, followed by a crewed trip around the moon and back as early as 2023. This later mission will carry 43-year-old Japanese billionaire, and I still cannot pronounce his name, but he's the one who owns the Japanese version of Amazon. Then by 2024, SpaceX could be ready to conduct crewed missions to Mars, and it all starts with the SpaceX Starship Hopper. Wow. That's, uh, you know, I have to say that when I look at this photo, I think to myself, if SP was going to design a spaceship, what would it look like? And it's this. It's this. <laughs> Oddly enough, the first rocket I designed was <laughs> shockingly looked like this. If you want to check this out, it's geekstyle.link slash hopper. That's H-O-P-P-E-R. You can go ahead and check that out. That's a short link that'll take you right there. And uh, we'll make sure to have that in the document as well. 
It is really cool. It's really neat. And I can't wait to see what Stargate Pioneer does with this because clearly he is just lying and he just admitted it on here and he forgot that he was saying someone else did this. So it's clearly his thing. No, 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 no. I said I my first one I designed much smaller. <laughs> it wasn't 128 feet tall. So this thing is awesome. This is going to be like, did you ever see uh, From the Earth to the Moon or First Man? Did you ever see either one of those things, Stephen? See movies? Okay. What, Chris, movies? have you seen From the Earth to the Moon or First Man? Have you ever seen either I've of those? I've seen parts of From the Earth to the Moon. I have not seen First Man. In both of them, what they do is they recreate Neil Armstrong's lunar lander trainer and the trainer accident that occurred. And it is like this, so it's not supposed to be something that is robust and flies around. I mean, it's supposed to survive the test flights and everything. This is not the final design. This is just to test the feasibility of control systems, of thrust to weight ratios and stuff like that. So this is not going to be actually employed. This is a much, much, much smaller version of the actual Starship, which will fly to the moon and Mars. If you believe they put a hopper on the moon. Hopper on the moon. <laughs> no. No go. No. You know what? If you believe that they put a hopper on the moon, then you're probably the same person that believed that Apple would actually make air power happen. But bam, there it is. There's your segue. Uh if you'd missed it this past week, Apple has announced the discontinuation of a certain product. This is a product that they announced a couple years ago called AirPower. For those of you not familiar, when Apple decided to get into the wireless charging game, of course, they made their own individual product that would do different charging of the wireless devices, including like the Apple Watch, the phone, and I think there was a third one. What wasn't there, Chris? What was the third thing that they were they had wireless? Uh, eventually the AirPods are now, right. but it wasn't, it wasn't at first that they just released the wireless charging case for the AirPods. Right. Okay. So they were getting into wireless charging. So they decided that they were going to go and make their own wireless charging pad because they were building it off of a standard. If you've seen it, QI, it's pronounced Qi, Qi charger. And so they ended up making or announcing this thing called AirPower. The idea being that there would be a pad that you could shove multiple devices on. Well, this past week, it was announced by Apple that they could not make air power happen and that they were going to abandon the project. And this is interesting because of the fact that Apple announced this obviously a couple of years ago, a couple of years before they were ready to even try to implement it because it never happened until today and then they canceled it. So it's very interesting to see that Apple decided to get ahead of things by announcing a product that clearly they weren't far enough along with the development that they could actually make sure that this came out. And the funny thing about it is if they had never really announced that they were doing air power, it probably would have been a big deal. But the fact that they announced it and now have canceled the project is a pretty big black eye. So I'm interested to see what Chris Farrell has to think about this because you are someone that actually I've known has embraced wireless charging for a very, very long time. I think you're the first one that I knew who did use wireless charging way back in the Nexus 5 days. Yeah, so my Nexus 5 could do wireless charging and I did that for convenience sake. Ironically, the Pixel 2 XL I'm using right now is not a wireless charging compatible device. So 
Why was building a wireless Qi charger so hard for Apple? Well, if you have experience using wireless Qi chargers or even the PowerMat standard ones, which my Galaxy S6 would use both Qi and PowerMat, the hardest thing is lining up your phone in just the right place so that the inductive charging works. What Apple was trying to do is put enough magnetic coils on their charger that you could set your devices anywhere on there and they would charge at high speed. That's a nightmare. Engineers who started looking at what Apple promised it went, we have no idea how they're going to do this without severe temperature issues and eventually just melting this down. And when you go and look at the leaked reports that came out here, the problem was even as they tried doing this, the device got so hot that it would just be a danger to use. And even how then they never got it. How hot was it? 637 Kelvin. I don't know. Oh. I'm just making numbers up now. But the, the problem is... It melt your house. There's too many metal coils in there. You can't do it. You can't make it so that you can set your devices anywhere on a wireless charger and have them work right now. You've seen other commercial products out there now where you see, oh, I've got three devices on my wireless charger. That's because there's three separate coils on the device and each device is centered, each handheld device rather, is centered on one of those coils to optimize the charging. That's what you've seen a lot of right now. And honestly, had Apple not tried to Apple it all up by saying it's going to be so easy, you just set it anywhere, they could have delivered their own wireless Qi charging pad and it probably would have been fine and they could have marked up the hell out of it. But the simple fact of the matter is, these things are dirt cheap. Apple really had to do something innovative if they mm -hmm. wanted to try and be able to put the Apple tax on a wireless charger. And yeah, that wasn't going to happen, especially when I'm cheap. I can buy one for five to ten bucks on Amazon. I kid you not. The dollar store, which here dollar stores are like one to four dollars or anything. They sell they sell it like they. I actually have mm -hmm. seen them bought at the dollar store. So what you're saying is. Apple cannot change the laws of physics. Despite what they would have you think, they cannot, in fact, change the laws of physics. Are you sure about that? Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure they can. Relatively. Mm. Okay. They told me that they could, but they also told me that they were going to make an air power pad. So, yes. Not. Yeah. I'm, I'm confused here because they said they had... A revolution it, like it was going to be fusion powered or something i don't know but it, they were going to change the laws of physics yes I, I i believe you're right on that i think i remember the exact word coming from tim apple i remember oh, that no i i know the exact word it was they had the courage to change <laughs> the laws of physics <laughs> well yep, there we go Oh, so anyways, I, I do want to highlight this because I think there is a little silver lining in this is that they did use the Qi standard because if they had originally announced their own wireless standard and never delivered a pad, it would really, really suck. So at least they did use an actual standard. And so people have had that option all of these years and will have an option going forward because that really, really would have been terrible if people were hoping to have it and they didn't get it. Or they could have just gone the Samsung route and pack it so you can do all sorts of different wireless charging because the Galaxy S phones will do whatever the power mat standard is and wireless Qi charging. That's a good point, too. That's a fair point, too. Um, I, I'm happy that it's just something that is readily available and cheaply available, too. I do know a couple of people who have started to get into the wireless charging on their Apple phones. 
Uh, I really, really do wish I had a Pixel 3 because Pixel 3 does have the wireless charging. I have no idea why Google banned it for Pixel 1 and 2. It's bizarre. But honestly, here's something I realized when it came to when I had phones with wireless chargers. Yeah, it was nice to have at work to just kind of set my phone down for on occasion. Or when I was down here podcasting, I had a wireless charger that I set things on. But it's so slow. At least those ones were so slow compared to wired charging. It just wasn't worth it. Now there's rapid there's quick charge versions of uh, wireless charging that are out, which I haven't had a chance to try, but eh, nine times out of 10, I'm just as happy to plug it in. And I know wireless charging is becoming more and more ubiquitous. You're seeing it in Starbucks. You're seeing it built into certain cars and things like that. But I, I am not a hundred percent sold that it's worth the cycles on the battery to go wireless all the time, other than to just top off when you're there somewhere. See, you're doing it wrong because all of my chair is a Qi charger. So I just sit down and because my phone's in my pocket, it just charges. So you have to balance it, though. I understand the battery cycle, but you have to balance the battery cycle with the fatigue on the actual charger port itself or the cord for that matter, because the cords are freaking expensive, at least the Apple cords now. And I know they're changing to the USB-C, but the lightning things, it's like, ah, just 50 bucks for a cord or something like that, or, or a 12 buck one that wears out in a month. So if you're balancing those costs with a wireless charger, which they're cheap, you pointed that out, I'll take the wireless charger. I mean, I've had wireless charging for a year and a half now, and I've really enjoyed it. Have it in the car, have it right here in front of me. I have it when I put my phone on the bed stand next to me when I go to bed. So it's really easy to use. If I had a phone in the office, I would put the phone on the charger. I do recognize the fact that if I take the phone up, if I pick the phone up and I, I'm screwing around with it in my hand, it's no longer charging versus a cord. It would be charging. But that's the trade off. It's the battery versus the cord. You know, I will say so, this, though, that um, I think the reason why they went with the Qi standard was because Iron Fist was really popular at the time because that that's the Qi that that's in Iron Fist, right? Iron Fist was never popular. <laughs> One last thing before we transition off, the, the difficulty with the wireless charging you have, especially in vehicles, is if you're using, say, Google Maps and you're on a wireless charging pad, your battery is not going to go up. You're lucky if it holds steady if you're using the GPS <laughs> and your screen on the entire time you're on there. So there's something to be said for plugging in a lot of things. That's fair. That's fair. But at least at least you're holding steady, though, right? At least you're holding steady as opposed to not being plugged in at all. It's true. I mean, and the other thing to consider is I don't. I don't believe Android Auto nor Apple CarPlay work wirelessly, except for in very rare instances. In some cases, Stephen, you're losing battery power when you're using all of this electronics. Like, say you're running Waze, and then you're running a, I don't know, a, anything playing to your car, or like you're playing a podcast or whatever. If you're doing two or three things, you're losing battery power. You're not actually staying the same yeah but you're still gaining more charge than you would have by not charging in your phone because it's True. inconvenient and you forget the cable somewhere right so you know th again there's a silver lining there so yeah, that's the april fool's jet day joke is that i am actually going to be the positive one to look at things for this episode there you go there's your april fool's day joke. you just dogged on apple for air power and now you're going to be the positive one i didn't dog on them that was other steven <laughs> other steven <laughs> Moving on, let's talk a little bit about some Google and a sad day for Chris Farrell and I. 
It is. We all know that Steve and I are Pixel buddies. We both have Pixel 2s. Mine is the XL variety. His is the standard variety. Well, it is official as of today. Google has officially stopped selling the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL. Android police first noticed it. URLs for the Pixel 2 on the company store now just take you directly to the newer Pixel 3. So if you're wanting to get a Pixel 2 still, you still have a chance. Everyone that has inventory in stock has started to drop the price. I know in the United States, you could buy a Pixel 2 XL for 400 bucks at local Best Buys and things like that. So you have your chance now to get in and get this back stock. Why do I bring this up? Well, it's kind of interesting to me. The Pixel 2s came out in October 2017. And like we said, they've been selling them up until now. The thing is, I haven't really seen anything in any cell phone since then that makes me go, oh man, I got to drop this phone. So I'm talking about a phone that's 16 months old, doesn't have wireless charging, but who cares? But I don't necessarily care because there's no great hardware or software feature that makes me go, oh my God, I need to replace this. Especially with the fact that Android Q coming to this phone when it deploys. So it's an interesting shift, if especially in why I brought this up as someone who's a techie like me looking at this going, yeah, I, I don't see any reason to upgrade in the near term future because this Pixel 2, which might have a slightly slower processor, does absolutely everything I need it to with no problem. So guys, I think I've grown up and I don't have to have the newest toy on the playground anymore. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Welcome to the club because I'm sporting that iPhone 8 Plus, and I did not go X. I did not upgrade this last time around. I'm probably looking at an upgrade this fall, although I'm really hesitant about going Apple because I do believe Apple is on a definitive downcline and that I can get the similar capabilities with other things. The only problem is I have that FaceTime issue with my family that I got to keep on. So yeah, I, I don't need the biggest, baddest, best. Now this time, this year in 2018, when the iPhones came out, I don't know if I would have taken that XR. I think that I would have had to have go gone the SX or SX Max out of those. But gosh, dang, you know, all the expense and everything. I don't know what the next generation of Google phones is going to cost. You know, the fours when they come out, no idea. But we've already seen the Samsungs. They're well above $1,000. You know, the FaceTime thing... I think we're getting close to it being less of an issue um, because and I can't speak to what she saw on her end, but I was on a phone call, an actual phone call with my mom who uses an iPhone. And this was, a, I don't know, a month ago, and she wanted to FaceTime with the kids. So with, you know, if you have an iPhone, you know that there's a video button on there when you're doing an iPhone to iPhone call. And if you press that video button, then it pulls up FaceTime and basically continues on the call through FaceTime. So I did this on my Android because I have a video button as well. And usually that uses Google Duo and it was seamless. Uh, so she obviously on her end got a, a pop up because she has Google Duo on there. Uh, so she must have got a pop up and it was just like the FaceTime experience that I've always seen. But we were using an Android to an iPhone using Google Duo. So if if Google has been able to accomplish that and really make it work well on both devices. And Google Duo is actually a really good quality app as far as a FaceTime supplement. If they have done this, then that opens up the door for another third party to really take over. Because I don't think it'll be Google. I think it'll be something else. But really something that will make the FaceTime thing less important. And uh, maybe it is going to be Google Duo. Because I was really impressed with how well it worked Android to iPhone. 
So why that works so well, FaceTime especially, is that it's baked into your dialer. So it's a simple matter of I hit a button when I'm in a call with someone that brings up the video. And that's great if you're on an Android phone, but you'll never have that button baked in on iOS. It's always going to be FaceTime. So you're always going to have that ease of use consideration when you're going across OSs that I don't know that we'll ever solve. Yes, you can put Google Duo on an iOS device and communicate that way, but it's an extra click to do it. And for some people, it's just not as simple then. So they're not as worried about it. The advantage that Google has here, if you really have one, is the fact that it's available on both platforms. You'll never see a FaceTime app on Android. I'm calling it right now. You'll never see it. Just like we were promised there'd be iMessage opened up to everyone by Steve Jobs saying, yes, we want to open up iMessage. It's never going to happen. That's a selling point for Apple because people get locked into that. It's convenient and it's easy and they don't want to leave. And we remember, Stephen, you and I both talked about this ages ago. The difficulty of leaving iMessage at one point mm-hmm. is that for some people, it took months to for Apple to get the fix in place so that if their friends who are on iPhones tried to text you, it didn't try and route through iMessage even when you no longer had an iPhone. So it's all well and good in theory, but the simple fact of the matter is unless they open up the standard to allow you to do any kind of video call from the dialer on both of on both devices, it's not going to be near as easy as doing iPhone to iPhone and Android to Android. Who knows? Maybe maybe there'll eventually be an option on iPhone to be able to change your default video uh, service. Cause yeah. I, maybe I'm going to get a pony. <laughs> you know what? If air power can happen, anything can happen. Air power didn't happen. Oh. I forgot about that. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, moving on to our extra extra before we have a little bit of fun here talking about oh, some craziness that happened this day that we recorded this Monday, April 1st. Guess what? There has been another game console announced. If you missed it, there is going to be none other Then a Sega Mini coming. Yes, Sega has announced that there's going to be a Sega Genesis Mini coming in September with 40 classic games. This is going to include uh, Eco the Dolphin, uh, Castlevania Bloodlines, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force, Dr. Robot Nick's Mean Machine, Toe Jam and Earl, Comics Zone, Sonic the Hedgehog, Altered Beast, Gunstar Heroes, and there's going to be some other games in there as well, but those are the big highlights there. Now, why this is interesting here for me personally is that there has been, because of the weird Sega licensing over the years, there have been some third-party Segas that have been out Four years, probably before the uh, NES Classic came out, and they suck. They're absolutely terrible. You read about them, and apparently the audio's wrong. They drop their error build. Terrible, terrible things. And honestly, this is something that I actually have been wanting to have for a while because uh, I was a big Nintendo guy, but apparently my wife was more of a Sega girl. And I'd really like to have a working Sega classic so we could really just sort of round off our childhood fun that we had and get the nostalgia factor in full form. And for all you people saying, oh, just go ahead, set yourself up a pie. You can do all this stuff. It's different. If this follows the way that Nintendo has, the Nintendo actual versions are generally 
better than the ROMs because half the time the ROMs are bug filled. So anyways, I'm excited to see how this all works out. And apparently it will be September 19th. But we've seen the darker edge of that because remember the PS Classic is basically a cheap ROM player with yeah. the ROM stripped from their own games and doesn't quite work so great. I'm hopeful. There's a reason it was down to 30 bucks in less than two months after it dropped. I'm hopeful. I have to have hope. I do. I Man, do. I'm over this. Just put the Think? games out so I can play them. Don't make me buy a mini system. <laughs> you should just convert over to Xbox, Steven. What? I have Xbox. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Moving on. Uh, April Fool's. Chris Farrell wanted to take some moment to round up the April Fool's shenanigans that happened today. Chris Farrell, what do you got? So I got to say at first, I'm a little disappointed. We didn't get as many as the funny April Fool's pranks. I remember from the past, there's some stuff that's kind of interesting. Google continued their path of putting out a product of something you can play with. Remember, we had a Where's Waldo Google Maps app. You could hunt Pokemon and Google Maps at one point. Well, this year they integrated. Remember the uh, game Snake that used to play on your Nokia cell phones? Well, that is now integrated into Google Maps on both the app and on the website version. So if you're on an app, you can pull it up in the hamburger menu. There's an option to play Snake, or you can go to snake.googlemaps.com, and it'll put you on one of like eight different maps in the world, and you play with your arrow keys Snake. It's kind of fun. It's kind of useless. I don't really care a ton, but I played it for a couple minutes, and I went, okay, this is fun. It's in line with Google putting a game out there like Pac-Man, all these other things they've done. So I enjoyed it. Now, there are some other traditional-like uh April Fool's pranks we've seen, but again, I don't think they're quite as strong as stuff we'd seen before. One of the ones I thought was kind of funny and made me chuckle at first is that Roku is going to introduce pet-friendly remote controls. They call their Press Pause Initiative. See what I did there? <laughs> I saw that. I, I, that was really funny. Now, according to them and their press release up on their website, the Press Pause Remote is designed to make it easy for your dog to tune into their favorite TV entertainment. It includes paw-friendly features such as animal-themed shortcut buttons, ergonomic shortcut buttons, get your dog to their favorite shows faster. There is bark assistant technology. The press pause remote works seamlessly with your Roku player or Roku TV and features bark assistant technology. Various commands are at your pet's disposal like bark to play, bark to pause for emergency bio breaks, and bark to mute. I like the bio breaks. Finally, it'll work with the built-in sub- Woofer. We built a subwoofer <laughs> into the press pause remote that produces very high frequencies so your hound's sound is happy in the home. This is good. It's good. It's well written. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. It's well written. <laughs> yes. I like it. I enjoyed it. It made me chuckle a little bit, so I went, okay, you get credit for it. And if you go and look at their press release, they actually have a picture of the mocked up remote where the two buttons on the bottom of the screen are paw-shaped buttons to launch Roku channels. It, it's cute. Nice. It made me laugh. It did what it needed to do. So, Roku, you get a plug for your funny April Fool's prank here on the Gunna Geek Show. Uh, a couple more things I wanted to bring up. There is a company called Glasses USA that you can buy glasses from online. They are partnering with Victorinix, who is also makers of Swiss Army Knives, to make Swiss Army Knife Glasses. That's right, for April Fool's this year, built into the temple pieces are two mini Swiss Army knives that give you all sorts of different tools that you would need when you're stuck out in the wild or just need to trim a thread off your sweater, things like that. Carbon fiber frame with blades and tools, things like that. According to them, the Survival RX glasses 
are crafted from carbon fire and reinforced thermoplastics, the same as used in the automotive industry, granting the glasses their lightweight yet super durable attributes. The Temple arms are equipped with four built-in tools, a corkscrew, screwdriver, scissors, and a bottle opener. Furthermore, the tools are held together with state-of-the-art neodymium magnets, making them easy to attach so you can maintain perfect vision while using them. So get Swiss Army knives built into your glasses. There's no way this fails when you go through airport security and go, oh, crap. No, it's a genius idea, and they should actually make this happen. I'm very disappointed as an April Fool's joke. They even get into how the idea was born on here. It's it's quite entertaining. Okay. I just need to point out that those same magnets that you're talking about in there, you actually have in your microphone right in front of you. Ooh, I just couldn't say the word is more of what it was. <laughs> so what you're saying is my microphone is glasses? Wow. Very cool. Your microphone is glasses. Chris's microphone has magnets in it. Yeah. It's stupid. Stupid. Continue. They did also build a YouTube video that demos all of the capabilities. Oh, and then, of course, we've got one last thing to talk about when it comes to our April Fool's gags. It's one of my favorites to look at. We all know that each year, Think Geek does probably somewhere between six to eight fake April Fool's gag gifts that they put on the front page of their site. Funny enough, many of those gifts have turned into real products they've sold, such as the zip-up Tauntaun sleeping bag where the zipper was a lightsaber, and when you looked on the inside, it was entrails, which was a very cute one. I enjoyed that. But this time, we do have some interesting products coming from ThinkGeek. Some of them I really enjoy, some of them not so much. The first one they had was the Burned Bread Toaster by Banksy. It looks like it's a concrete toaster with Banksy's name scribbled on the side, (laughs) and it burns your bread off in a pattern of different Banksy artworks. (laughs) That's awesome. That will run you $1.37 million. Sweet. It's a Banksy work of art. Next, for $300, you can get the Roomby, which is a Kirby robot vacuum. It's got Kirby <laughs> on top of it doing his uh, his sucking motion like you've seen in the games. It's cute looking. I did not see that, but it sounds like I need to buy it. Indeed. Uh, next up, they have their Flame Jam Hoop. It is a basketball hoop where the rim is on fire. If you ever played the NBA Jam games, you know exactly what we're talking about. He's on fire, man. <laughs> I'm a hockey fan. Bucks. I'm not a basketball fan. I mean, not that you can't be fans of both, but I'm just not. So anything that would destroy a basketball, I'm in for. Fair yeah, enough. Fair enough. We won't go through all the products they have here, but a couple other cool ones. There's the Marvel Thor Mighty Mjolnir mailbox for $149, which is a mailbox that looks like Mjolnir. The I handle of that. Mjolnir is the post that's mounted into the ground. And then the mailbox itself is the metal that makes up Mjolnir. I actually need a new mailbox right now. So if they made that for 149 bucks, I would buy it. That's the problem with the ThinkGeek ones is they're always things that you actually want to see. Like they're, they're real things that you would buy. That's true. I mean, there's a chance they might make them. And of course, I didn't get into all of them, but they always have cute descriptions on it when you open up. I pulled up the Thor mailbox just because that's the best. It's entitled Because Your Mail is Worthy. Made from proprietary metal for durability against weather and attacks. Includes facial recognition technology. It only Ooh. opens for you and USPS employees. I like it. I, I like the concept. I don't think I'm going to get it for $149. I don't think you're going to get it, period. <laughs> it also weighs 800 pounds, according to this. I would like a just a normal mailbox. You know, like the plastic ones that they make that go over 
the four by four posts that you put in the ground. And I would like one that was shaped like Thor's hammer. That would be awesome. You know, one of my favorite ones that I saw came out of Google and and it was that they were unveiling that Google Home had an update called Google Tulip where it would let you communicate with your flowers. It was absolutely amazing. It's like, oh, Google, Google, you've got to hammer home that translation stuff that everybody uses. True story. While plants do like you to talk to them, they do not like you to touch them. Yeah, there you go. There's your curiosity daily nugget that Stargate Pioneer learned from none other than Gunna Geek Network member Cody Goff's day job. No, no, no. It's Chris Jericho's show now. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's your, your, your that, that was an April Fool's joke that he had over on Curiosity Daily. That is true. So two more products to talk about here. Uh, this one's just dumb but made me laugh. Remember that whole uh, craze that was going around of people wanting to wear onesies around the house because they wanted to be comfortable and lazy? But if you're in your onesie and you just got to sit down real press quick, that's a problem. So they have introduced the beanbag onesie. How does this work? You've got a onesie, but it's got a giant beanbag attached to the tushy. So when you're ready to sit down, just lean back and you'll be sitting on a beanbag <laughs> built into your onesie. <laughs> what, what about, you know, the, like the Back to the Future 2 clothes that automatically dried and flotation devices and stuff like that. That's all you need is clothes that can automatically conform to those sorts of situations. That way you would have a built-in beanbag in your tushy. And then finally, the one that made me laugh the most, for a penny on Think Geek. You can buy the Captain Marvel Universal Pager. It's the one thing every 90s kid wanted, but didn't need. Yes, it is the pager. You can call Captain Marvel to come help you out of a jam when all half your friends turn into dust. Uh, I want that. Too soon, Chris. It's only a penny. I want that. It's got a two-year contract, though, $9.99 a month. You got to keep that in mind. If it works, it might be worth it. It's okay. I'll pay it. Uh... Stargate Pioneer, I know that you had a special shout out you wanted to give to one that actually got you for a split second, right? I did. You know, I, last night I was editing a podcast late and I was I, I went to bed and when I went to bed, I'm like, it's going to be April 1st tomorrow. Just live with it. Don't actually get on the Internet tomorrow. So what I do, I go to sleep and I wake up and I totally forget that I knew it was April 1st. I picked up my phone, saw some emails, went to my email and I got a Patreon notification and it looked really exciting, weird, whatever. I clicked on it and it was actually one of the sailing YouTube channels that I follow. And they said, yeah, congratulations. We got a, a new bigger boat, you know, that costs a lot of money. We've gotten so much money from our Patreons that we're able to do this. And I was like, what? I didn't, they didn't, wow. I didn't think they had that much money. Wow, but that's a cool boat for them. I'm, I'm grateful for them. And they had just spent like the last five years rebuilding this other boat that they're sailing around the med with. And I'm like, what? but they, they worked so hard on that and they just got rid of it. I'm like, oh, that's got to be tough. And then I woke up a little bit more. I was like, oh, it's April 1st. They got me. <laughs> uh, I like the idea of telling your patrons who have been giving you money that you were able to afford a luxury yacht. Pretty much. I like yeah. it. I a like 40 it. foot sailboat in pristine condition is going to be 100, 150,000 US dollars. And yeah, they, they were saying that they had earned, and I knew they were dirt poor. 
they stopped, sail- <laughs> they stopped sailing at the end of last year to go make money so that they could go back. And a lot of sailors do this. They go back and they work seasonal jobs and then they go back during the summers and they cruise the med, the Caribbean, whatever. And so I was like, what? They didn't have any money. And then all of a sudden they bought a 40 foot boat. Oh my gosh. They must have gotten a heck of a deal selling their other boat. Wait a minute. Did they sell their other boat? So all this stuff was going around in my mind until I finally figured out it was April 1st. So yes, you can get somebody on April Fool's that knows it's April 1st. If you had fun things that made you enjoy April Fool's, please get in touch with us through any of the ways. Head on over to guineageek.com because uh, it's always fun to see what the web has come up with. Uh, I'm sorry. I saw Captain Marvel on the weekend. I'm going to bust out that term again. The web. Surfing the web. With Alta Vista. I love doing this segment on the show. It's my space symposium. We've done a lot of space symposiums going back to Gunna Geek. Episode 136, we started out doing space telescopes. We talked about the science behind the telescopes, about how they worked and that sort of thing. Then we moved on to orbiting probes, and now we're on interplanetary probes, and we've done such interplanetary probes as Pioneer 5, which was the first interplanetary probe just out into space. We did the Mariner 2 Venus flyby. We talked about the first successful Canadian satellite, and then we talked about the Ranger series last time and our attempts to capture pictures of the moon. Well, this time we're going to talk about Mariner 4, which was our first attempt to go take pictures of Mars. And this was one of NASA's most successful missions ever, Mariner 4. And it was launched in 1964. So Mariner 4 was obviously the fourth in a series of spacecraft, Mariner 4, fourth series. Okay, go figure. Used in a planetary exploration in a flyby mode. And it went by Mars and it returned the first pictures of the Martian surface. Now, we had taken telescopic pictures of Mars from the Earth's surface, but we needed to get closer, take a closer look at it. So we sent Mariner 4 to do that. Actually, we sent Mariner 3, but Mariner 3 had a problem. Remember, this was the early parts of space exploration in the 60s. Stuff didn't work all the time. And Mariner 3, while it launched okay, it didn't separate successfully from the upper stage. And so never made it to Mars and was unsuccessful. So Mariner 4 was the last hope in order to do it because 3 and 4 were set up in a pair. Not at the same time, but close, close enough together to go ahead and get to Mars. So this was launched in November 28th, 1964, aboard an Atlas rocket with an Agena D upper stage. It was controlled via Jet Propulsion Laboratory, I think. It was definitely a JPL system, but I don't know where the mission control was definitively. And everything that I looked into couldn't tell me where it was definitively controlled out of. So we're just going to say JPL. It had a mass of 260.68 kilograms, which is roughly 575 pounds, which is the same as a fully tanked Harley Davidson Sportster 1200 as carried in the bed of a 2019 GMC Sierra crew cab. There we go. There we go. Fair enough. Known the gimmick was still there. Uh, well done, sir. Well done. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And it had a, these large four solar panels in order to get it enough solar 
a panel and solar energy to power it as far as Mars about 300 watts. So it was 688 centimeters wide with the solar panels. It was 127 centimeters long and it had a eight sided frame or an octagonal frame for the satellite bus. It had an overall height of 289 centimeters and it had a rechargeable silver zinc 1200 watt battery in order to give it enough power to actually do everything in its most uh, charged state. It had a monopropellant hydrazine rocket to give it course correction fuel and, and thrust. It had an attitude control system or ACS with 12 cold nitrogen gas jets. So it didn't actually fire anything. It was just cold compressed nitrogen. It had an S-band 10 watt antenna, which allowed data transmission between 8.33 and 33.33 bits per second. You guys remember those 150 baud modems? You guys, or am I oh, too yeah. old on that? Oh yeah. I yeah, remember. So this is, this is slower than that. <laughs> this is 33 baud or <laughs> 8 baud. It had enough data on it. This was its hard drive in 1964. It had a hard drive of 5.24 million bits. That's pretty bits. awesome. Pretty awesome. Which for those of you who want to do the math, that is uh, 655 kilobytes. <laughs> That's what that works out to be. Ooh. 655 kilobytes. Yeah, and so that was the data storage, and most of it was actually used up during the flight, and we'll get into that in a second. Now, the instruments it had on board, it had an imaging system, which was a TV camera. It had a helium magnetometer to measure radiation, had a plasma probe, a cosmic ray telescope, a cosmic ray detector, and a cosmic dust detector. So as long as it was flying through interstellar space, it was going to pick up everything that was going on, including micrometeor hits. And we'll get to that in a second too. So it was the second of a series of two, basically, even though it was the fourth, it was the second of a series of two to go to Mars. The Soviet Union failed five times before this sucker went up five times. And then Mariner three. So there were six fa failed missions. It was the seventh mission and it got there. That's how many failures there were in the early days of space exploration. It was the seventh, six failures to get there. Wow. By the way, in Soviet Russia, they're not called failures. They're called learning opportunities. I was going to say almost successes. That's what they uh, call them. Yeah. Mere well, success. Yeah, <laughs> it's a failure. You're going to go after the gulag up in uh, Siberia. Don't want that. Dog comrade. Mm, goulash. So on this seventh attempt to get to Mars, there were no failures at all. No anomalies. It did everything it was supposed to do from launch to separation to the uh, transition orbit to Mars to the actual course correction midterm. A lot of these home and transfer orbits between planetary bodies, they have one major course correction that happens mid course to make sure that they hit their target that they're going to. And that went off without a hitch. And it actually took the pictures when it got there and reoriented itself with the attitude control system. So it took different pictures as it was going by. So as it's going by, basically the camera slewed, that's the satellite term for it. It slewed to 
make sure it covered a different area of Mars. And it did cover an area of Mars and nothing else. It took 21 pictures, guys, 21 pictures. And then most of the 22nd pictures or 21 lines of a 22nd picture. That's all in 25 minutes. So it's flying by. It hit between an altitude. Its closest point was 9,846 kilometers, which is roughly just over 6,000 miles. That's how close it got to Mars. And this is in 1964. This is ama- actually the flyby was on July 15th, 1965, because it took seven and a half months to get there. And they missed it by that much, but still close enough to get t- to get pictures and transmit them back. It took until August 3rd to get all the information back. So July 15th to August 3rd, slow bit rate. But these pictures that are amazing, I've actually got some of the pictures that are in the document. And the last picture that I show is of a cratered surface. And it shows the fact that Mars was basically lifeless. So some of the scientific discoveries that were uh, discovered during this mission was that it had a surface like the moon. Now, not all of Mars is cratered like this. We got lucky, I say lucky in quotes, by taking pictures of part of the Martian surface that were cratered to basically determine it was lifeless. Now, while there might be microbes on Mars, it's not a hopping civilization or a tropical space or anything like we would have had an early Earth with a lot of grass, a lot of vegetation, animals. It was a desert and there were no canals. Remember, guys, remember when your kids hearing stories about all these Martian canals? You guys remember that? Yes. Yeah, Vaguely. that was proven false with this, or at least the portion that they saw. And it wasn't the last mission that we sent to Mars. We sent other missions to Mars just to confirm. Now, the pictures that they took covered about 1% of the Martian surface. So they knew that there was 99% of the Martian surface yet to cover. They also were able to detail the atmospheric pressure, which was between four and seven MBs, megabars, and had a average daytime temperature of minus 100 degrees Celsius, which is uh, roughly what the temperature is up in British Columbia, I think. Sure. Why not? Let's say that. Then determined that because there was no atmosphere to speak of, it does have an atmosphere with weather, but because it it was so light that they were, and no, uh, magnet shield around it like there are radiation belts that they were exposed to the solar and cosmic radiation so that's a minus for life too now this probe though it was only designed to last eight months it lasted almost three and a half years well three years and 23 days so it lasted a lot longer than what it was for. After its flyby of Mars, it went off into a heliocentric orbit, which is basically around the sun. And it took measurements of interstellar space. And in that process, it got hit a couple of times by micrometeors. The first of which was in September, 1967. It was September, 1967. And then it damaged the spacecraft slightly. They think the heat shield took some damage. But it had enough fuel left that it was able to right itself and continue contact with Earth. But unfortunately, later on that year in December, they ran out of fuel. It was hit by 83 micrometeoroids in between December 10th and 11th, ran out of fuel, 
And then December 11th was the last time we had contact with it. And then the last time we tried to contact it was December 20th, 1967. Still three years, 23 days. Amazing. It was uh, eight, evaluating in today's dollars, roughly about $83 million. Uh, incredible deal for the money at that point in time and very successful. We got 21 plus pictures of Mars in 1965. This was amazing. That's pretty awesome. Um, I do have, I do have a couple of cool questions or points on this. Number one, um, what exactly do you think has happened to it since? Cause you mentioned like, obviously it, it got hit. Like is it, would it still be orbiting right. or would it have, have crashed? Oh yeah. And no, it's still orbiting out there. And matter of fact, it right now it's probably merged with the Tesla, which is roughly in the same orbit. Okay. And then we're going to get the start of what its version of V'ger was. We, I was going to say, this is a problem because of the fact that Elon Musk, who seems to know everything about everything, has said that he's afraid of AI. He's probably afraid of AI because he's experienced like really good AI, which was probably sent on that Tesla to get it off of the planet. And now it's mixed with Mariner four and it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to come haunt us and take over the earth. Do, oh. do you want to get Borg? Cause that's how you get Borg. Absolutely. Wow. Next question on the docket. When they get these photos back, back in whatever year this was, were they like pretty certain what they were going to get or because it was, such a revolutionary set of photos at the time was it sort of like a guesswork of we think we're going to get this part part of mars well remember we were taking pictures of the moon at the time and earth so they kind of had an idea of what the resolution of these pictures were going to be they didn't know exactly what part of mars it's like remember guys the pluto flyby with new horizons that we just had yeah couple of years ago mm -hmm. it's kind of like that we had no idea what we were going to see in pluto before new horizons flew by it. it this was the same thing we knew nothing about mars close up other than it looked kind of red and they had canals and uh, there was probably a civilization that was getting ready to bomb us it was all world war ii hysteria basically uh -huh. Well, I think it's really cool. And if you want to go ahead and check out the photos, uh, I did link to a website. It's geeks.link slash Mariner Mars photos. It'll take you over to a website that I found called cosmosmagazine.com, which seems to have the photos on there. It's really cool. And you found uh, it? Yes, it's, it's really quite neat to see. You found it? Uh, yeah, I did find it because I Googled it. I Googled, uh, it's uh, actually cited in the document. Well, I don't read your work. <laughs> Steven's <laughs> mostly illiterate, remember. <laughs> Seriously, geeks.link slash Mariner Mars photos. And uh, you can go ahead and see that. Really neat. Really quite neat. And SP, thank you again for taking the time to talk about this here. I look forward to the next edition of SP Space Symposium, which will be on what? The Lunar Orbiter 1, which was a mission in 1966. It was the first U.S. spacecraft to orbit the moon. Awesome. Chris Farrell, before we close up, do you have anything that you would like to plug or promote? Just a friendly reminder, there's a lot of cool live content you can see over on Geeks.Live. You're there right now, if you're watching this live, of course. So scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll see a calendar of all the other live events. So jump on in, catch out one, catch one of those other live shows and tell them that we sent you. Stargate Pioneer, anything that you'd like to plug or promote? 
we are still plugging along with Starling Tribune coming up with the end of season seven, which is the last full season of the show and into next fall. Some really interesting news is starting to come out about season eight, the limited 10 episode season eight. Encourage you to tune in to Starling Tribune, hear all about what may or may not be going on in the show this fall. And I just want to go ahead and say right now that I hate modern television programming. I really hate the fact that there are so many gaps going on right now with the TV that I watch. I just I just can't stand it. I hate modern television programming. I'll complain about it every single year. Are you talking about the gaps in like the spring break break and the mid-season break? Are you talking about plot gaps? I'm talking about like the gaps within the schedule. Yes, the schedule. Okay. Yes, I don't like it. It's frustrating. It's irritating. And uh, I don't like the fact that I had to wait so long for Legends of Tomorrow, which comes back tonight. I don't like the fact that there's like a three week break between the now and the next arrow. I don't like the fact that this show is going to be gone for five months. I don't I don't like any of it. You're absolutely right to be incest about the large break in Legends of Tomorrow. That is ridiculous. It's not like Game of Thrones or uh, Sopranos or whatever, where you have you're able to go years, even Battlestar Galactica, where you're able to go years between seasons or something like that. This is a show that's meant to run together. And the only reason CW is doing it is they're too stacked with shows, which is going to be solved in the fall. I think they're too stacked with shows to go on. Also, when we were growing up, when I was growing up, <laughs> shows actually had seasons of 26. They actually ran half the year. Now it's more like 20 or less. So you have longer breaks that you have to bridge throughout the entire year. Usually these shows start late enough in September, October, where they do have more of a complete run up until the mid season break. But then starting in January and February, I mean, they have to take time off for winter Olympics. They have to take time off for political events. They have to take time off for uh, vacations and all to get your schedule to coincide with the biggest ratings coup in May, which are the biggest ratings still today of shows, May, the season finales in May, to get there with their big shows. But it's just not working. It bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. So on that note, for episode number 281 of GFQ Network's Tech News Weekly, I'm Stephen John Drew saying... Happy April Fool's Day. We recorded this on Monday, April 1st. Yay. It doesn't come out till days later. I'm Chris Farrell saying, we're topical, dang it. And I'm SP saying, I'm the green Power Ranger. Twitter.com slash the Chris Farrell. I think. Check it out. Bye. <laughs> for checking out another episode of the official gunageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.